Hello and welcome to The Daily Reprieve, where we provide essays, speaker meetings, workshops, and conferences in podcast format. We are an ad-free podcast. If you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and drop a dollar or two into the virtual basket. Please consider donating monthly by clicking the Donate Monthly button. However, one-time donations are always welcome. Just click the Donate Now button. Now, without further ado, this episode of The Daily Reprieve. Thank you so much, Daniel, and thank you, Brendan. They're working next door in the apartment. So I was hoping they would take their lunch break now, because normally here in Spain, the lunch break is around 3 o'clock, 3.30. So please, guys, take your lunch break now. Um, Okay, thank you, Lord, for, um, for allowing me to be here as a newbie and talking about old-timers. Um, my name is Luke D. I live in Barcelona, Spain, and uh, for the last four years, before I was living in Belgium, I'm originally from Belgium, and when Daniel asked me a couple of months ago which topic I would like to speak on, the first that came in my head was following in the footsteps of our, of our old-timers. Now, afterwards I started thinking, oh my God, what did I get myself into? What, what can I say about this? And I don't know exactly anymore, at that time, two or three months ago, why I came up with that topic. It had a, it has, it had a certain sense to it. It was things that I was doing then, or, or thinking about them. Now, I thought about it a couple of times uh, the last couple of months. And today, this morning, I, I, I made a couple of, I jotted down a couple of keywords. Um, so I hope it will make sense. And that got will use me to, to be of service. First of all, I'm really grateful and really humbled also to be talking here today to you. Um, and I'm amazed into what Sim has grown into in, in, in only a couple of years. I think this is the third year. I might be wrong now, but it's an amazing thing. It's, it, it's such a a collaboration of fellows, beautiful flyers, well done, the technology, everything. It's, it's, it, it blows my mind. Um, let me give a short qualification of myself to, to, to convince you that I'm a sexaholic, uh, if, if I need to do that. Um, I'm 52, and I was, well... I'll try to keep it very short. My main forms of acting out include compulsive masturbation, which I did every day for over 30 years, at least once a day, sometimes several times a day. And I did it not because I was so physically strong or something like that. No, it was to numb my feelings, to escape reality, to, to create a more beautiful fake reality in my mind, in my ego. 
I got addicted to lusting after women, after girls, after women in the streets, sexualizing them, making lustful pictures of them in my mind, and in the, in the, in the, in the, in the evening, open this inner pornography and masturbate. I, part of my addiction also includes uh, promiscuity. I was, I was not able to stay faithful to one woman, to one girl, and I always immediately uh, started looking at other girls. I remember at a certain moment I was kissing a girl and I was looking with my eyes to another girl and thinking, oh, I should have tried to seduce her. Um, I got addicted to not so much to paper porn uh, when I was young, but then I got addicted to, uh, to prostitutes. And when I was 24, and that took many years, and that, that became my main form of acting out. Uh, in, the, in the worst periods of my acting out, it, it was like three, four times a week that I went to prostitutes and spent sometimes over a thousand or fifteen hundred dollars a month on prostitutes. And that was about all I made that month, those months. Um, in, in the areas where the prostitutes were, I became addicted also to, to hardcore porn because they were hardcore porn shops, boots, and I became, I became addicted to that big time. I spent a lot of, I lost a lot of money on that also. I did some other shameful stuff like I sexually abused my younger sister. I sexually abused a niece. I exposed myself to a minor. And I also watched illegal stuff on the internet. Um, and I peeped into windows. My apologies for the noise again. Um, my life became, from the very first time, immediately wrecked by my sex addiction. I was not, I, I was, I could have been a bright student, but I, I only finished high school with a very moderate um, grade. And then when I went to art academy, superior school, university level, I wasn't able to finish it. In the second year, I dropped out because of my addiction. I quit several jobs because of my addiction. I lost a lot of money because of my addiction, let alone the money that I didn't make because of this addiction. Um, now, that's like a short qualification. And, and then my, my self-esteem got crushed time and again. I became several times suicidal. I developed a chronic depression and I wasn't able to keep friendships. Now today, by the grace of God and this amazing fellowship of SA, I'm sober for 11 years, two months and 29 days. And that's incredible. Now, when I got sober in SA, I was already sober for 15 years from alcohol, soft drugs and cigarettes. But I wasn't, I wasn't able to stay sober sexually, let alone stay sober lustfully. I was drinking from morning till evening lust and I didn't know that that was the enemy. 22 years ago, I got into another S fellowship. That was the only S fellowship that existed in Belgium at that time. 
And I thought it was the best S-fellowship. In that S-fellowship, we were able to define our own sobriety definition. As Nicholas just also referred to it, I tried to do that and for 10 years, and for 10 years, over, ten, over the course of 10 years, my disease always gets worse and worse. And I got, I got more and more suicidal. 12 years ago, an, an, a fellow brought in the white book. He had bought it in, in, in America. He had, been, he had been to the US to an international convention, which happened to be an international convention of SA. Did he know? And he came back with the white book and I immediately bought it. And I bought it literally and figuratively because I bought a message which was in, which was in there. Namely, the message that lust is the problem and that I cannot concoct my own sobriety definition, but I had to accept a wisdom greater than myself, a sobriety definition, which originated in a wisdom greater than my own. And that's the sobriety definition of SA. Unfortunately, that first year in SA, I wasn't able to stay sober. My disease even progressed. At the end, I became completely addicted to Viagra and prostitutes, and I, I was suicidal again. I got a sponsor in Nashville over the phone. I, I, I called somebody, an old-timer, and he gave me a sponsor of him to sponsor me. And in, in August 2009, I called that sponsor again after not having called him for two months, as I had been binging for two months. And we decided that I would go to Nashville for three months and do meetings there. Like use one of the strong recovery tools is 90 meetings in 90 days. Now, one of my big fears was, I had a lot of big fears, but one of my big fears was the old timers. Because I was afraid of dominant and dominant leaders, dominant men who would emotionally, financially, physically, or sexually abuse me. And I thought, well, if I go to Nashville, these old timers, because they are dominant, I thought, they're going to, to, to make me paint their house, to, <laughs> to make me wash their car, to do whatever stuff. And I'm quite codependent, especially them. So I, I will not be able to say no. And it will, it will, it, I will get really resentful. Now, why did I have that, that fear? Because it had been my experience in life so far. My father had always abused his power. He was, a, 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 as, as far as I can remember, every single day of my youth, childhood and youth and teenagerhood, he had abused his power, he had raged, he had belittled me, ridiculed me and exploited me emotionally, emotionally and spiritually. Another, another reason why I was so fearful about old timers, because the infallible and hierarchical leaders in the religion of my childhood. And, and then also in my 20s, I had gotten into an utterly hierarchical system of gurus in a, in a sectarian religion. 
And also, when I looked into my own heart, every time when I had gotten some power, I had abused it to exploit or manipulate people. So I was really, I was really horrified, not terrified, to go to Nashville and, and meet old timers. You know, the opposite was true in Nashville. It was one of the, of the first healings there. The opposite was true. It was my experience that the longer sober members were in SA, the more healthy boundaries they had, the less they were even thinking of exploiting me or anyone else, the more they were like absorbed in their own recovery, in their own, in, in sanifying their own life and creating healthy relationships. Um, restoring their job, restoring their family, etc. So that was something that, that blew my mind. Um, yeah, I, when I was preparing this this morning, I looked on the I looked on Google, and I looked for a definition of an old timer, and it said an old timer is someone who has been around a long time, and has experienced a lot. That's a nice definition, and I thought, in our program. Putting it the simplest way that I can, I would say it's someone who, who has kept doing steps 10, 11, and 12, one day at a time for many, many years, and staying sober in that process. I remember when I was in Nashville for those three months in 2009, from September to December 2009. Actually, I did 240 meetings in 90 days. I did three meetings a day, every work, every work day, every weekday, and two meetings a day every weekend. So about 240 meetings. And in the meetings, there were a lot of guys. Most of the times it was meetings with 20, 30, 35 people. In the morning, it would be different people than at noon and in the afternoon. And in the beginning, I thought, well, what would be my, when would I call a person an old-timer? And I thought, well, probably guys with more than four years. But, now, but then when I became four years sober in SA, I thought, no, <laughs> not at all. I'm, I'm just a baby. My, my diapers are still wet. And um, today, again, by the grace of God, I have over 11 years of sobriety, one day at a time. And I'm far, far away of being an old-timer. So today, I would say, probably old-timers are 20, have 20, 25, 25 plus years of sobriety. Um, anyway, I'm extremely grateful for our old-timers today. And I think today they are, tr they are truly spiritual giants. And not in the way of floating in the air or their ability of reciting Hebrew or Greek or Sanskrit mantras or living alone in the hills while feeding themselves with nuts and fruit, fruits alone, but in the sense that they practice the practical spirituality of this program, this down-to-earth 
spirituality, this anonymous spirituality in their day-to-day -day life. And that's something amazing. And there is a text in the White Book, which I'm going to read. It's on page 71, I think. Um, I haven't looked it up. And it's one of my favorite texts. No, actually it's on page 74 in the White Book. It says, typically, when we come into the program, all kinds of personal problems are uppermost in our mind. Pending separation or divorce, problems of romance and occupational health, legal or money crisis. Most of us felt that if only the problems would go away, we would be okay. What we did not realize was that it is because of and within these very pro problems that the program works. The program does not work in a vacuum. It only works in the day-to-day -day ebb and flow of our lives. Trial, tribulation and pain are the soil in which the steps can germinate, take root and find fruition in our lives. Thus, every problem, no matter how small or great, every crisis, resentment, pain, illness, stress, conflict, depression, any and all of them, without exception, can be turned into good. Every time we feel overwhelmed, our sponsor, or I would say any old-timer, can point a way out of self-pity, resentment or fear, and onto right thinking, helping us say, I thank God for the good and the seemingly bad as necessary for my growth. Thy will not mine be done. It's my experience today in SA that um, I've lots of problems in my life, financially, professionally, in my marriage, um, with my character defects. S the spirituality that the program teaches is working this program in the midst of my problems. And I thought before that a, spiritually, a spiritual giant was a person who didn't have problems anymore, who wasn't struggling anymore with life, who, who was above problems, who never got fear or resentment or whatever anymore. I'm very grateful for our old timers because they show a real spirituality. One of the things I, I told you about the hierarchy of the fate of my childhood and the strict hierarchy in, in that sectarian religion I got, I got into, there is no hierarchy in SA. There's no lifelong leaders. Our leaders are trust servants. They serve for a short amount of time and they rotate out. I, was a, I, I had the privilege of being a delegate for my region. I had the privilege of being the chair of my region. Um, and today, I'm just a guy who is opening the door of my local meeting, the virtual door, even, the Zoom door. And um, I love in our fellowship that our old-timers, they are not infallible, but they share vulnerably. Roy writes it in the White Book, we lead with our weaknesses. It's my experience that old-timers, they still lead with their weaknesses. And I think that's unique in the 12-step fellowships. And I think even, I'm also an AA member, it's even more 
in SA than in AA. In AA, in my experience, and I hope I'm not sacrilegious now, well, it's my, it's my opinion. Um, I see persons who are teachers, leaders, circuit uh, speakers, and I don't, and, and they have nice talks and they are hilarious, but I don't hear them share about their problems anymore. And I'm, I'm wary about that. It, well, I'll say it doesn't appeal me. A couple of weeks ago, there was an old timer with more than 35 years of sobriety on our speaker meeting on Wednesdays in the, the, the Barcelona Easy Does It group. And he shared about his disorientation and fears related to the coronavirus situation. That's what appeals to me. That's why I love SA, because our leaders, no, our old timers, they share with their weaknesses. Um, another example for me is recently, a couple of months ago, I took over a service from an old timer who is more who is sober over 32 years. And unfortunately, this very gentle man got cancer last year. And he isn't able, he's doing well, but he isn't able to do that much service anymore. So, first of all, this man gave me over 30 sessions on Zoom to work me in on this new service role. Never ever in my work situation, in any work situation, in any paid job, have I never ever have I gotten such a good training. Secondly, during those 30 sessions over Zoom, I was able to observe firsthand his devotion to the program, the calls, the many calls that he got throughout the sessions, his humor and his humility. Another, I remember another old timer now, uh, Lee T from Nashville. He had 25 years of sobriety when I was there 11 years ago. And he told once in, the, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a morning meeting, he said, the one who is the longest sober today is the one who got up the earliest this morning. Now, I must say, I was very cynical when I heard it that day. I was thinking, yeah, yeah, easy for you to say, guy. You have 25 years of sobriety, but I'm struggling here with my two weeks and four days or whatever it was. But today, I do see he has a very valid point because it's only one day at a time. I don't know for him now or for Nicholas or for any guy like that, but for me today, it's one day at a time. And many days I'm still struggling with life on life's terms. Actually, to be very honest, I'm struggling most of the days, more or less, with living life on life's terms. With, not, with my selfishness, my resentment, my self-pity, my fears. I love our old-timers because, because of their transparency. There was an old, another old-timer when I was in Nashville who said he had been a minister, a, a, a Protestant minister, and he had traveled all over the world. And he said, and he was also a recovering alcoholic, he said, in the best of the pubs that I went to, I met a lot of honesty, gut honest honesty. 
in the best of the of the churches that I went to, there was a lot of spirituality. But it's only here in the meetings of SA, he said, that I encounter God's honest honesty and spirituality. And in my experience, the long the longer sober members are, the more they develop this precious quality. Um, something else I would like to say about old timers is that when I was in Nashville, there was another old timer, Elliot S. And he told me a visualization that he had done when he just got sober. And I'll tell you the visualization also because I did it also. He said, sit down tonight and do it for a couple of days and visualize yourself being 25 years from now that you're still sober, visualize it. Visualize that you're in your home group. You are 25 years older, you have gray hair, you're bolder. Your sponsor is there, 25 years older. He came over from the US. Some other guys are there. Even Harvey is there, uh, 100 years old then, or 90 years old. And some other guys, visualize them. And when the chairman of the group asks, is there anyone, anyone celebrating a multiple of years today? You raise your hand and you say, yeah, I have 25 years today. And then you visualize how they're all applauding for you, how they are cheering for you. And you visualize, you, you try to feel the joy and make it real and visualize what you tell them, how you did it. And I did that visualization several times, 11 years ago. And it's just one of the tools I would like to share with you. Um, I was also lucky enough to walk with the previous sharer, Nicholas, uh, 10 years ago for three months. We did a, a pilgrimage by foot for three months. Every day we worked, we walked about four to six, sometimes eight hours a day to a next place where we found a place to sleep for free. We had a little mattress with us in our backpack and a little um, sleeping bag. And Nicholas had then 15 years of sobriety. During the pilgrimage, he got 15 years of sobriety. And three years later, we did another month pilgrimage. And then he had 18 years of sobriety. So I was able to, to observe this person when I was barely eight months sober and then later two months and eight years sober. And I noticed that he he's still a man, human being, still with character defects, but his serenity is something that I even don't have today. I got enraged a couple of times, but he stayed quite serene throughout those whole three months. And you have to know we were walking each day. The man was 20 years older than me. And we slept in quite austere circumstances. We slept in football canteens, in a garage, in a stable, uh, in a living room of people, etc. Um, of course, also my sponsor. My sponsor is an old timer with whom I have a special relationship in the sense that I choose to follow his suggestions, whether my mind and my feelings like it or not. So with him, I have a special relationship. Um, I'm kind of 
coming to the end, I think. Um, I heard from Nicholas that some years ago at an international convention, they did a survey among old timers. And out of the survey, they got that those people at that international convention who were old timers, there were four characteristics that they had in common. The first one was they still went to an average of five meetings a week. They still were being sponsored and were using their sponsor, not only their sponsor on paper. The third one, they worked all 12 steps and were still working the steps. And the fourth one, they were still doing service in SA. So that's like a formula. That's like a success formula. For me, if I want to become an old timer, keep doing my meetings, five me an average of five meetings a week, keep being sponsored and following my and, and checking in, touching off my, my decisions with my sponsor, letting him, letting him see into my mind, um, continue working the steps and continue doing service in his aid. Now, to wrap it up, what does it mean for me to follow in the footsteps of those people that I try to describe to you? It means for me, what I see from them is to work steps 10, 11, and 12 as good as I can. That's the maintenance or the growth steps in my life today. Steps 10, 11, and 12 on a daily basis. Live life one day at a time. I can't do it. I can't work my program to tomorrow's program today or next year's program today. Um, when they ask Harvey how he became an old timer, he says, one day at a time. Yeah, I did it one day at a time. Another thing is, so to continue going to meetings, using my sponsor, work the steps and do service. And then I would say to contribute to what I can, from what I can, in, um, in order to solidify and expand SA. Because that's what the old timers have done. Without them, there wouldn't be any SA. Or SA would have, been, would have stayed in Simi Valley or in Nashville or in Chicago. But they contributed everything they had, their talents, their energy, their, their intelligence into solidifying SA and into expanding SA. And so for me to follow in the footsteps of our old timers is doing that, doing what I can to solidify and to expand SA. And to end, it also means for me to not imitate them blindly. That I did in my former religion. It, it doesn't mean to erase my own personality. No, it means to follow in the direction that they are going, um, becoming more and more myself. It means respect and gratitude, but not submissiveness and, ador and adoration. So I hope that made sense. I, again, I'm, I'm, I couldn't be more grateful for our old timers and I wanted to, to take advantage of this little talk to, 
to honor them and to express that gratitude. Thank you for listening. Thank you, Luke. It really did make a lot of sense. And we've had a few questions that have been coming in. Um, and the first question is, what helps you to release your emotional tears? Say it again. What helps you to release your emotional tears? My emotional fears. Tears, tears. Tears, okay. What helps me to release my emotional fears? Hmm. Very good question, beautiful question. One of the things is crying. Um, I don't cry often, but I do cry. And not, I think last week, less than a week ago, I was still crying here. And it was like a, like a real sobbing uh, because of my powerlessness, because of my utter dependency on a higher power that I don't always feel or that I don't always trust in my gut, although I act as if. Uh, another way to release my emotional fears is to write about them. I try now every morning to write 10 minutes. I put my chronometer and I journal. I write 10 minutes. The third way is to to write about them specifically, like a fear inventory, and then check it in with somebody, and to check them in with my sponsor. Nowadays, I have a week, at least a weekly sponsor call, uh, call with my sponsor, and I, I do check them in with him. And the last thing is, I started quite recently another program on my codependency, another 12-step program, and I realize now by answering you that I, one of the reasons that I, that I got involved in that program and that I'm writing my first step now in that program with the sponsor is to go deeper into emotional, any emotional stuff, emotional fears, emotional low self-esteem, emotional enmeshment, emotional sobriety. Thank you. Thank you. Um, thanks for a deeply moving witness. How is your sobriety and your relationship with the old timers who have been your spiritual authorities in sobriety shaped your relationship with your faith tradition? Mm -hmm. So how, how has my relationship with them shaped my relationship with my faith tradition? Yes. Hmm. That's a nice question too. Um, my first sponsor, uh, who lived in Nashville, did not share the same faith. Well, when I came into the program, I was not into a faith tradition anymore. I had rejected the faith tradition of my childhood when I was in, in my early teens. And then the sectarian religion that I got into in my 20s, I had, I had quit it when I was 32, so 20 years ago. And then in my 30s, I had, I had um, gone around and um, flirted with a lot of New Age practices. When I came into SA, I didn't have any faith tradition. My first sponsor was not, he had five and a half years of sobriety then, and he wasn't in, in a faith tradition either. 
So he never pushed me into something. But in the, in, I think in the first or second year of my sobriety, in the first year so, when I got deeper in my step 11, I was, met, I was like kind of meditating and talking to my higher power. And on the inside of me, I saw a compass. And that the needle of that compass was pointing towards the fate, the fate tradition of my childhood. And I told my higher power, I don't want to go there. But the needle stayed stuck in that direction. And I still said, can I not go to something Eastern or something more esoteric or whatever, something more exotic? But no, the needle stayed there. And I prayed for weeks. And eventually, I obeyed to my higher power, not to any old-timer. And I went back to the, to the faith tradition of my childhood. My current sponsor, with whom I'm working now for the last, with whom I've been working for the last eight years, he doesn't share my faith tradition. Um, so it hasn't been shaped, let's say the specific faith tradition hasn't been shaped by any old-timer that I know. Even on the contrary, there's one old-timer that I know that has the same faith tradition, but I'm, I'm, I listen to him and I'm inspired, but it's not really shaping my faith tradition. My, faith tradition, my, my recovery comes before my faith tradition. My 12-step program comes before my faith tradition. Um, but what I do get from them, from the old timers, is to, to go deep into my step 11, and I'm still in the beginning of it, but to go, to go ever, ever deeper, to not be satisfied with, with where I was six months or five years ago, and to be serious about it, to choose one thing and to go for it. Not to be, to be uh, religion shopping the whole time. I, I hope that's kind of an answer. Yes, it is. Thank you. Um, another interesting question. Um, what was the moment that you thought, now I've taken off my diapers? <laughs> Two spontaneous answers. The first one is, I think when I was 10 years sober, or maybe when I was 11 years sober, at one of those two occasions when I was speaking uh, for my home group, I think I said then, uh, no, I think it, when I was 10 years over, I said, it has taken me 10 years to dry out of my sexual addiction. I still have it. I'm not cured at all. But it has taken me 10 years to, to get to a kind of, a, of not struggling on a daily basis with having to lust. Uh, with, night with white knuckling it. And I think that this year, when, when I had my sobriety anniversary, that I said to my home group, now I have the feeling that, I'm, that I will need the next 10 years, God willing, to work on emotional sobriety. So maybe somewhere between 10 and 11 years, I, I was able to, to walk around most of the days without diapers, most of the days. Nice question. <laughs> Thank you. Um, here's, a, here's another question. How can you not turn the old timers into a higher power? Good question. 
Yes, I, I, I'm a codependent person. As I try to 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 sketch in my in my share was that I was raised in a very codependent family, and so I'm still fearful of authorities, of old timers, of some people who have this very dominant outlook, they, they, whether they are like that or not. Um, I think that experience of walking for three months with that old timer, day in, day out, sleeping in very austere circumstances, it helped me. Because in the beginning, I was like, oh, this old timer, he, is, he had 14, 15 years of sobriety, and I didn't dare to open my mouth. But after a couple of weeks, because there was, in my perception, a, a certain character defect that was really annoying me, I had to blurt it out. And I did it in not a very kind way. I raged. But it helped me to, to tell him, in this pilgrimage, if, if, if I'm going to survive this, if I'm going to, to be able to successfully do this, we are here like equal pilgrims. And not you as an old timer and me like a little honeybee. Yeah? I, I respect you as an old timer, but we're here like equal persons. And it, it really helped me. I still get intimidated by, by certain guys, but I'm, I'm less and less, I, I look at them with respect and gratitude, but not in a submissive way. And also I think by bit by bit developing um, the relationship with my real old timer, my higher power. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Um, so we have a few questions around step 11. Um, can you make an example of how you go deeper into step 11? What's your favorite way to meditate? Hmm. Um, for the last 11 years, I've prayed, I, I've done my surrender prayers every morning, which probably most of you do. I get out of bed, I hit my knees first thing. I thank God for the sober night and I beg God to keep me sober today. I express my willingness to keep sober today. I do the first step prayer, the seventh step prayer. I pray for my wife. I, and I say a couple of other things in my own words. After that, I do a kind of meditation with a, with a little prayer that I recite for 20 or 25 minutes. It depends which one I use. And I've done that for the last 11 years now. I, I, I think I haven't consciously skipped a day. I try to do it in the morning, first thing. Sometimes I haven't been able to do it first thing in the morning, and then I do it at noon, somewhere in between, or even before going to sleep. I'm a bit superstitious about it. I don't dare to skip it. But also, I see that by doing it, whether the quality of my focus is good or not, it sets me up to be more focused throughout the day. Uh, quite recently, I've added 10, at least 10 minutes, I put it on my chronometer again, of silent meditation. So silent meditation that I, that I try to just calm down. And sometimes I, re 
I repeat the word silence or inner silence, or uh, I repeat something out of a, that I read, like, um, be still and know that I'm God. So I repeat that little prayer in me to try to go to the inside. And those are ways that I use to, to, to get more silent, to go to the inside. Um, I will need many, many, many more years to, uh, well, probably my whole lifetime to grow into that. Thank you. Thank you. Um, so a question, can you discuss your daily regimen of sobriety from when you wake up until going to sleep? Um, and how do you handle the bumps in the road that occur on a daily basis? How does it? How do you handle the bumps on the road going oh, through yeah. the day? Okay, I told you already the, the, the spiritual practice, the, the prayer meditation practice. I do the same in the, in the evening. Before going to sleep, I hit my knees. I thank my, my higher power for having me kept sober. I go over my day. I look lust in the eye, like the 18-wheeler says. I pray if anyone still comes in my mind. I ask him to keep me sober. I express my willingness to stay sober. I go to sleep. Um, throughout the day, my daily routine is, my daily program routine is to read two pages of the program literature throughout the day. Actually, my program literature is in my bathroom. So I take advantage of that time. Um, I write a gratitude list almost every day, probably five out of seven days a week. And I send it to two fellows who I call my gratitude partners and they send theirs to me which gives me joy also to read their gratitudes. And sometimes when I forget about mine, one or two days, I get theirs and it reminds me or it inspires me to write mine. Um, quite recently also, as I said, I edit writing 10 minutes a day and I write with my higher power, like a two-way uh, writing. I start writing, hey God, or hey, loving higher power, here I am again. And he answers, hey, my, my, my dearest son, how are you doing today? And so I write. I do that for 10 minutes. Sometimes something nice comes out of it. Sometimes it's just, I don't know if it's just uh, the rambling of my mind. Um, I do a lot of service. I, have, I, I got married four years ago, and at that time I had to do less service because it was like a big change in my life. But recently, I took on quite a lot of service again. And I'm doing, on average, a couple of hours a day, I guess, on service. Some days more and some days less, but on average, I would say an hour and a half, two hours per day on service behind the computer. And I love it. I just love it. I couldn't have imagined it in the past. I always wanted to be outside I couldn't stay at home. I wanted to be outside and to look. If to, I was always fearful of missing out. I just love doing service on, on the internet today, knowing that I'm in one way or another contributing to, 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 to helping to expand this, this fellowship. Um, and I, I keep sponsoring. So I'm sponsoring on average five to seven people. Well, that's a bit my program routine. Oh yeah, and also 
I, I, I strive towards making two phone calls a day, whatever phone calls I may have got, I may have gotten, and share my insights, share really the things that I'm struggling with. And I'll tell you why. At a certain moment, I got into another program and I told my new sponsor there, and he asked me how, how I was doing. And I said, well, I'm doing good. And he said, cut the crap. How are you doing? You're not, you, you didn't join this program because you're doing, you're feeling good. You joined this feeling because you're feeling crap. You joined this program because you have problems in your life. I want to hear about your problems. So I try to call two members a day and tell them about my problems, about my fears, about my resentments. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We have a question here. What helps a spouse during recovery? I've cheated on my wife and she's working with me, but she continues to have triggers and anger. How can my recovery help her? I, I haven't had that experience. Um, but because I got married when I was seven years single and sober. But we have our struggles in the marriage. We have quite tough struggles with my character defects and, and the way they combine with hers. I would say the best way, and maybe, it, it, maybe it's an answer to your question, the best way that I can help my wife is by working on my own program by working on my own character defects, working on the countervailing virtues, on becoming a better person. They say sometimes, you might be the only white book that your wife will ever, ever read. Yeah. So she, she might never read a white book, but she will read you. She will read me if I'm changing or not, yeah, that will tell her about my recovery and that will get her interested um, in my recovery. That will change her way of dealing with me. And I, I can see that bit by bit with my wife. Thank you. Thank you. Um, as a sponsor, do you experience any cultural differences in how you take people through the steps? Cultural differences? My, my first sponsor and my, my current sponsor are Americans. And I'm very grateful for that. I, I love the American approach because they're very pragmatic. For instance, an, an example was that I think after a year or, and a year and a half again of, of sobriety, I had pain in my testicles. And it's very, especially when I was going to sleep. And... I told my, and, and I was, when I was trying to go to sleep, my, my testicles were nagging me, my, were attracting my, my attention. And that was quite scary to relapse. And I told my sponsor, and all he said was, take a painkiller. Yeah. Take a painkiller. And, and I did it for probably two or three times, and I never had to do it afterwards again. So it helped. So they were very pragmatic. More pragmatic, I think, than, than me as a European. Now, I'm sponsoring, I've sponsored uh, Jewish persons. At the moment, I'm sponsoring two Iranians. Um, 
And I listen, I try to listen to their culture, to the, to the specific things which are different in my culture. For instance, the way they deal with women or the way their culture or religion is influencing uh, their day-to-day -day life. Um, but in the end, there's no, I'll give one example to, to just to, to end it. Like I, one of the Iranian sponsors, Sponsisi told me, well, you know, I have never been able to act out so much as you guys. Yeah, because in our culture, it's very restricted. In your culture, you can mingle freely with women. I think that's the reason why I'm so lust-driven. Lust I said, it's bullshit. I had, I've, I've been brought up in a country where you can mingle freely. I've had 25 girlfriends, gone over 65 prostitutes, and I'm completely fried. You and I, we both lust fright, and we come from a completely different culture. So we both have to do the same thing, and it doesn't, it doesn't matter what culture you're coming from. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, you said that your active work with your sponsor for more than eight years. Do you not get bored of the same speech, message, and testimony from him? The last sentence again? Do you get bored from the same speech oh. and testimony? <laughs> Sometimes, yes. Um, but two, two things. I think it's a, it's, a, it's a working of my 10th step to stick with the same sponsor. Because step 10 starts with the word continued. We continue to take personal inventory and when we're wrong, promptly continued. My sponsor told me continued means doing the same things one day at a time for the rest of your life, which have been working for you so far since you got into, into recovery. So for me, working my 10 step is continue to work with the same sponsor. Second answer, I thought at times to change my sponsor uh, when I got married, because my sponsor isn't married at the moment. And a second a second reason was a second reason was a couple of times I got resentful. Of course, I'm a resentaholic, but I decided for myself after writing and praying about it to not change sponsors, except if my higher power clearly shows me. For instance, I changed from my first sponsor to my second sponsor because my first sponsor changed jobs and he got a little daughter, a little baby. And, and the only time that, I, that was working for him to call him was after midnight my time. So that was, that was force majeure. Yeah? I had to change sponsors. So except of when my higher power really shows me that it's time to change sponsors, I don't want to do it just following my own mind. Thank you. I would like to thank you for listening to this episode of The Daily Reprieve, the best source for experience, strength, and hope for SA members. Please subscribe to this podcast to be alerted of new episodes. Please show your support by donating to The Daily Reprieve by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and choosing either monthly donations or a one-time donation by clicking Donate Now. Thank you for listening and stay tuned for the next episode of The Daily Reprieve.